Well, good morning, everybody. It is uh, great to spend some time with you. What a wonderful way to start our uh, church service off with, uh, with baptisms. And I'm very excited. Uh, those are three extraordinary young women. And uh, I'm especially thankful uh, for uh, Pastor James and uh, also for Tyler and all of the volunteers in our student ministries who have poured into those young ladies. And uh, and uh, before, uh, and Harry, when Harry was with us, how he's poured into these young ladies, and, and God is truly faithful. So praise the Lord for that. Uh, we don't have a ton of time uh, this morning, and so uh, not a ton of time in putting me together are typically problems, uh, but I'm going to do my best uh, to be timely this morning. Uh, so we're going to dive right into uh, God's Word this morning. Uh, this morning we're going to uh, spend a, initially uh, time looking at Matthew chapter uh, 28, verses 18 to 20. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app on your phone, uh, make your way to what's known as the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there's Bibles on the tables around the room. Please feel free to get up and grab one or ask your neighbor uh, to pass one down. If you use one of those Bibles, you'll find it uh, the verse on uh, the verse is on 8:35, and uh, once you've located that passage, if you're able to stand in honor of God's word, would you please do so? Matthew uh, chapter 28, starting in verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, "All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations." baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Would you pray with me for a moment? Precious Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity that we have to study your word. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the opportunity to uh, watch these three young ladies uh, be baptized. And I pray, dear God, that you would I continue to work in this worship service, uh, that you would uh, rain your spirit down upon us. And Heavenly Father, I also pray, Heavenly Father, for uh, brothers and, uh, that are in other churches that are faithfully uh, preaching the gospel this morning. I want to lift up uh, Brother Larry Colbert and at the chapel. Heavenly Father, would you continue to, to bless that new church plant? And uh, we pray, Heavenly Father, also for uh, John Shirey at Brookfield Bible Church, and I pray that you would continue to bless that ministry. And Lord, we lift up any other churches in our area that uh, proclaim your gospel boldly. Would you work powerfully in them now? And it's through your son's name we pray. Amen. Hey guys, can you pull that? That reverb's going to drive me crazy, so I, I know it makes me sound really hot, but that's... Uh... <laughs> but yeah, thanks guys. Very good. You, there, there we go. That's, I never slide that little button as far as it's supposed to go. So uh, it has been an exciting morning this morning as we witnessed uh, members of our church family publicly profess their faith in Jesus Christ uh, through the waters of baptism. And what you have just witnessed is what occurs when our church family uh, lives out the timeless mission that we read in Matthew 28, that Jesus gave to his church some 2,000 years ago. It's called the, the Great Commission. And it is the uh, overarching command for every God-honoring, Jesus-following, 
spirit-empowered, people-loving, Bible-trusting, gospel-driven church. And put simply, the, the Great Commission is fulfilled when, when God's church faithfully proclaims the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, to those who don't know Jesus. And in the process, in humility, people repent of their sin, and in faith they receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And in obedience, they enter the waters of baptism. And that, brothers and sisters, that is the mission of the church. That is the mission of the gathered community that Jesus Christ died for. And it's very important that we understand this. It's very important that we understand that, that the primary task of the gathered body of Christ is to make disciples by bearing witness to Jesus Christ the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God the Father. And as such... We are not a club. We're not a political organization. We are not a, an educational institution. We're, we're not a counseling service. We are not a, a, a community charity. And, and we're not a, a social justice or community development organization. We are God's called out people who have been sent into an extraordinarily broken world to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to hurting people who desperately need to be brought into right relationship with the God of the universe. That is what we are here for. Now, at this point, it would be very easy for some people to get confused because they would look at Living Water Community Church and, and they, they would see some things. They, you know, I say we're not a, a club, but then why in the world are, do we have members? Why do we have a membership meeting every year? And if we're not a, a political organization, why in the world do we talk about social and moral issues that have political implications? And if we're not an educational institution, then, then why do we spend a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of staff and a lot of volunteer time on, on educating children and students and adults? And if we're not a, a counseling service, then why in the world do, do we have Lisa in a counseling office back here? Why, why do we as pastors and elders counsel people? And if we're not a community charity, why in the world do we give away some 50 plus thousand dollars every year to help people through our compassion ministry and run a, run a food pantry that feeds in excess of hundreds of people and an auto repair ministry that, that fixes the vehicles of scores of people? And if we're not a social justice or community organization, then why do we work so hard to make sure that, that people are treated fairly and that those in our community are cared for. We do all of those things not because they're the main thing, but because they flow from the main thing. They flow from the proclamation of the lordship and salvation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, we can strive to meet every family's felt need. We can, we can seek to fill every hungry belly. We can, can repair 
every broken vehicle. We can pay every late rent bill or utility bill. We can counsel every hurting person. But if we don't use those interactions to meet their greatest need, their need to be reconciled with the God of the universe, we are failing to fulfill the very ministry that Jesus Christ has entrusted us. But similarly, if all we do is proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and don't seek to minister to the, the physical and emotional needs of others, then, then we are ultimately failing to emulate the one who's died for our sins. And that's what I want to talk about this morning is, as we briefly explore the final attribute of a genuine church. And it's this. Genuine churches do good works in the local community, the region, the nation, and around the world. Now, in order to get started with that, let me point you to some of the very first recorded words of Jesus Christ. They are found in the fourth chapter of Luke, and this is what it says. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding community. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet of Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And all the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now let me give you a little context to, to that which has just been read. Jesus, he is in the, the early stages of his public ministry. He has just been baptized uh, by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. And immediately after he was baptized in the Jordan River, he retired, retreated, whatever word you want to use, into the desert. And for the next 40 days, he was mercilessly harassed by Satan. And during that time, it tells us that he ate nothing at all. And after that was done, Jesus travels to Galilee, the northern part of the nation, modern day of Israel, and he begins to teach in local synagogues. And one of the synagogues that he happens to teach in on this particular day that we read about is the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth. 
And in the middle of the synagogue service, there is a regular time when a, when a passage from uh, the, the books of the prophets is read. And the privilege of reading that passage many times is, is given to traveling rabbis who have come uh, to worship at, that particular, at any particular synagogue. And Jesus was one of those. And, and whether that passage, Isaiah 61, what was chosen by, by the leader of the synagogue, whether it was uh, on some kind of clerical calendar, whether Jesus himself uh, determined that he was going to read that passage, we don't know. But what we do know is this. God the Father determined that that passage would be read. Now, over the, the past 2,000 years since, uh, prior to Jesus' birth, from the time of Moses, God had been promising the ancient Jews over and over again that, that he would send a Messiah, someone who would, would bring to them salvation and freedom. And this particular passage in Isaiah 61 is one of those promises. And here we find God's agenda, God the Father's agenda for Jesus the Son. So what did Jesus come to do? And that will help us understand what God is calling us to do. Look again at the first part. First, first part. <laughs> Don't want to put an F in the front of that word. <laughs> Verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Jesus has been called by his Father in heaven to reveal God's word and to bring God's promise of eternal life. And what is God's will? Well, it starts out there in the beginning there of verse 18, to proclaim good news to the poor. God is calling Jesus to uh, let people know that God not only cares uh, uh, about their earthly life, that, that, that God desires to, to restore their, their earthly life and intervene in their circumstances, but that he also cares about their eternal future. And so you've got this double meaning going on here. You, you've got people who are financially poor and those who are spiritually poor, those who need spiritual hope, those who are saddled with sin, and have, need to be reconciled with the God of the universe. And to both of those groups, the one being a subset of the other one, because all of those who are spiritually poor includes everyone. And then you have a subset of that group, which is those that are, that are physically poor. And Jesus brings the good news to both of those groups. But brothers and sisters, there's more. The end of verse 18 he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And once again, there's a double meaning. There are those who are physically captive. There are those who are physically blind. And there are those who are physically oppressed. But more importantly, Apart from faith in Jesus, 
All of us are spiritually captive to sin, spiritually blind to the truth, and spiritually oppressed by the evil one. And it's to both of those groups that Jesus once again brings the good news. You see, Jesus is going to to physically heal the blind. And he is spiritually going to bring light, the light of God's love to the darkness of a world that's overcome by sin. And Jesus is going to, to physically provide liberty to the woman caught in adultery who's about to be killed for her sin. And he's going to spiritually provide for her liberty to be reconciled with God. There are these two things that are going on there. But there's still more. Verse 19, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus here, he's speaking of what is known as the Jewish Jubilee, a time which comes every seven years where all the deaths are canceled and where all the slaves are set free. And this is what Jesus has come. He has come to cancel the debt of our sin through his shed blood on the cross of Calvary. And he has come to set us free from the curse of sin and death through his vicarious resurrection from the dead. And at this point, verse 20 tells us that everybody is staring at Jesus. Jesus has taken a passage of scripture that has been read for hundreds of years and that that people have been waiting for the fulfillment And he is now ascribing himself to that, that that he is bringing this favor. And verse 20 says, and he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. All the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him. And then Jesus says something that will forever change the course of time. And he said to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And with these words, Jesus is declaring to those gathered some 2,000 years ago in a synagogue in the town of Nazareth, as well as to some 250, 300 people who have gathered right now at Oakley Avenue in 2023, that he is the Messiah the savior of the world, that he cares not only about the spiritual needs of people, but he cares also about their physical lives. For the next three years of Jesus's life, he will bring sight to the blind and he will bring hearing to the deaf and he will bring words to the mute and mobility to the lame and healing to the sick, and dignity to the exploited, and food to the hungry, and justice to the mistreated. And in the process, he will convict the corrupt. He will reveal the prideful. He will condemn the greedy. He will expose the self-righteous. And he will do it all for one reason so that men and women and boys and girls and the rich and the poor and the educated and the uneducated the Jew and the Gentile the oppressor and the oppressed might repent of their sin 
and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, as the one, only one, who can reconcile us with God the Father. Jesus did earthly good works to open people's eyes to their eternal spiritual need. He didn't do the good works simply for the sake of doing good works. That was the entry point. He always did the good work so that there might be a hearing of the gospel, that he might be able to draw people to himself so that they might confess their sins and receive him in faith. And brothers and sisters, what was true for Jesus is true for you and I. We do good works, not merely for the sake of doing good works. If that's what we do in life, if we just do good works, but we don't open our mouths and tell people why we're doing those good works, we are failing miserably. Now, you have to ask yourself, if you look in the New Testament, Actually, even if you look in the Old Testament, you're not going to find a lot of instructions for the gathered body of Jesus, the church, to do good works. You're going to find tons of instructions for individual people like you and I to do good works. You find that both in, in the, the New Testament, you find it in the Old Testament. If you go to the book of Micah, and you look at chapter 6, we hear this. This is, for, for, this is for you and I. This is not a command for the church. This is a command for us as individuals. He has told you, O oh man, O oh woman, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and love kindness and to walk humbly with our God. That is a command for us. Now, you can move that over to the church, and, and we can do components of that but that is not our primary mission. Our primary mission is the declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, out of that declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and because we're gathered people, we're going to have some people in this church family who are very, very committed to the issues of justice. And, and as such, our church wants to work in, and to play that role out. You're going to have people who are, are concerned about uh, the exploitation of, of women through the sex trade. The, the church can go down that path to care for those ladies, but that's not the primary mission. Why do we care for those ladies? So that we can expose those ladies to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We fix cars. We do the food pantry. All of those things are wonderful. All of those things allow our community to love us but if it ends there, we have failed miserably. We also do these things, these good works, out of love for God and love for others. In Matthew 22, they came to Jesus and said, Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. You and I, we've been called to love God. We've been called to love others. When we collectively come together, one of the things that we do is we love other people. 
Why in the world is our world so incredibly messed up right now? Why in the world do, do Muslims hate Jews? Why in the world are Jews angry with Muslims? Because there is no love. There's none. This never gets solved. Without love, never gets solved. Why are relationships broken up? Because there's no love. Love covers what? A multitude of sins. And, and, and so, as a church family, because we're called to love each of us individually, when we come together collectively, we're called to love. But love without the gospel is not love. You, you can fix an earthly relationship, but if you don't fix the biggest messed up relationship, which is the messed up relationship between people and the God of the universe, you ultimately do them no good. I ultimately do them no good. One of the other reasons we do good works is so that others might see God and glorify him. In Matthew chapter 5, we read these words, and you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Individually, we, we are lights. And, and when we live out the gospel in our life, people will take notice. And, and when, when people take notice and, and they see the good works that flow out of our individual lives, they will give God glory. And when we come together collectively as this church family and we do good works, people see the God of the universe. We do this community festival every year. It's a ton of work. Why do we do it? Well, one of the reasons we do it is because we love our community and we want to give people the opportunity to have a fun day for free. Because there are many in our community that could never do that. There are many of our community who could, could never go on a hayride. Many of our community who could never afford to pay to, to go to Hershey Park to ride on slides. The, the people in our community that, that aren't able to, to ever come around and have people give them food to, to, to eat. And, like, and, and where people are actually kind and talking to them. We do that for that. But we also do that, why? So they might see, our, the, see the God of the universe and we end the thing always with what? A service where we glorify God and point people to Christ. Now I grew up as a kid. I went to church every Sunday. Our church never, ever declared the gospel. We did good works, but no one ever saw Jesus through it. All they saw was a gathered body of people doing something kind for them, and they never understood the reason why. And so, please, please don't misunderstand me. Yes, we need to be ultimately committed to the gospel at all times, but that doesn't preclude us from doing good works, but it should drive us to do good works. Jesus has been so incredibly kind to our church family. 
God has entrusted us with a group of people who love him deeply. And God is using us to make a difference. And we need to be steadfast in sharing the truth of the gospel with people because that is their ultimate greatest need. People need community. They need friendship. They need food. They need shelter. But more than anything else, brothers and sisters, they need to be reconciled with the God of the universe because without Jesus... All of the other stuff, it all ends. Jesus is the only one who lasts. So what I want to do, I'm going to wrap up here with, uh, I just want to show you a brief video of how our good works have impacted an individual. And I, and I want you to understand something here. And in the, in the auto repair ministry that, that we operate here through uh, our Oasis Community Partnership, uh, the men and women that are working in that ministry, they work really hard to fix cars. But the people who come in, they always get prayed for. The gospel gets shared with them. Elder Jim Bennett is crazy faithful in leading his, his men and women to do this. And this is going to be a lady here that you're going to see that we helped uh, impact. So go ahead and run that, Richard. Hi, I'm Betty Smith. The VRM has helped me numerous of times. It has been a great blessing to come here. I'm a regular visitor here. They have worked on my vehicle numerous of times. Um, it is such a blessing. I'm so thankful that I've had the opportunity to come. There's been several times when my vehicle uh, wouldn't start, it needed repairs. All I had to do was to pick up the phone and call. Uh, my car was here just recently. Uh, what they did work on my vehicle. I'm so thankful. I've, I've been here numerous of times. I've been coming here for a couple of years. It's a great group of men that does the volunteer. It's an excellent work. It is truly a blessing. It is. And we tied the no more by 24 thing. I was planning on using it in a different part of the service, but I wanted to show you really what was going on with this lady. And we have blessed her on numerous occasions. The gospel has been shared with her. And God gets glorified. So let me pray. Lord God, thank you so much for, Lord, the opportunities that we have uh, to share uh, the good news of your son, Jesus Christ, through the, uh, the good works that you have allowed us to do. And Lord, I pray that you would always help us to keep the main thing the main thing. That, Lord, we would always be about declaring the gospel in love and humility. And Lord, would you uh, open up uh, the floodgates of people who, who come uh, to uh, our various ministries and, and Lord, is, and open up opportunities for us to go to them so that we might be able to uh, do good works in your name and declare the goodness of your son and the hope that comes from him. And Lord, now thank you for uh, the gifts that we are about to receive. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would... Uh, 
bless them, uh, Lord, that you would multiply them. Thank you for the generosity of these people. May we always use these resources for your glory and your glory alone. Amen.